And so the progress of the gospel, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version because I just I, I like it for this text. Um, but Paul writes to the Philippians, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So let's pray together. So Lord, we open your word with a sense of awe and thankfulness that you have revealed um, yourself to us, Lord, that we can know you, that we can understand how to have a relationship with you, that we have everything we need for faith and life on this planet. We have everything that we need in your word to get us uh, into heaven with you, Lord, the directions. And so we're just grateful. Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts, Lord, encouragement. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and that your word would find a soft soil that it can produce fruit, Lord, and, and give us some encouragement. And I, I think we all are maybe in need of that. So just bless us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So in order to kind of um, get into what I want to share, I want to kind of give you a, a bit of an overview of what's taking place in Paul's life. You know, he's writing this letter to the Philippians under house arrest in Rome. He is um, able to rent a house, but he's under constant guard. He's actually chained. And so this is the context. But, you know, he's writing this letter, and it's an amazing letter because it's a letter of joy. There's 16 or 17 times the joy is mentioned. And so, but how did he get to that point? You know, I think there's a... a a kind of a progress or a process that takes place in his life to where he is able to write this letter from a place of of blessing and joy. You know, the apostles' incarceration, it began in Jerusalem. Um, He was being falsely accused by the Jewish leaders. He got to Jerusalem and they accused him of bringing in a, a Gentile into the temple and there was a kind of a mob scene that was going on. And, and so the, the Romans came and kind of rescued him from being um, killed in that mob. And he was kept in prison by a Roman governor by the name of Felix for two years. And he was kept unjustly. You know, it, it says that Felix kept him there hoping to get a bribe. So he was there for two years in Caesarea, in prison, unjustly, you know, and then at the end of those two years, Felix was succeeded by another governor, Roman governor, by the name of Festus. And Festus immediately interviewed Paul, find out what was going on, and he did it with the Jewish leaders being present. And the Jewish leaders continued to make these um, false charges against the apostle. They couldn't prove anything. And, um, you know, Paul should have been let go. He should have, been, he should have never been kept in, in prison. However, Festus, 
you know, he was the new governor coming from Rome to govern this people that we call Israel. And, you know, for the Roman, kind of with the republic, with the senator, a sophisticated government, I think that they kind of had a hard time kind of understanding the culture of the Jewish people where their, where their religious um, leaders were actually the, also the political leaders, and it was a difficult time for them. And so Festus, you know, he's thrown into this situation. He's got to govern this people that were very difficult to govern. And so he wanted to do the Jews a favor and, um, and, and asked Paul if he was willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial. Now, Festus didn't know that the Jews' plan was to ambush the Paul on the way to Jerusalem and kill him before he got there. But Paul kind of understood that his life was in danger. You know, he understood the situation better than, than Festus did. And, and uh, he knew that he would never get a fair trial if he made it into, if he did that up in Jerusalem. So he was a Roman citizen and he used that privilege and he appealed to Caesar. And so... To Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And so they send him from Caesarea, and they send him on the journey. And we'll get into some of these details to help understand what's on my heart to share. But he, he gets sent to Rome, and he makes it to Rome, and he lands there, and he's in, um, in, in that place of house arrest. And he says that the gospel was making progress. In our text, you know, it says that he was, his circumstances were restricted. He was restrained. He, he couldn't freely travel anymore. But he said the gospel wasn't restricted. The, the gospel was making progress. In Cambridge Dictionary, it defines progress as movement to an improved or more developed state or to a forward position. And actually, the Greek word is a little bit more interesting because it was used, uh, it means to cut away, the Greek word. And it was used of a, a Roman kind of, uh, so, some Roman soldiers who were given the task to go before the Roman army and, and to cut a road through a forest or whatever. They would, they would clear the path so that the rest of the Roman army could freely travel into where they are going. And so what Paul is saying here, that even though he was personally restricted from traveling, God was using his situation to carve a path so that the gospel could make progress, that the gospel was still advancing. And I think there's a couple points here we have to grasp in order to really understand this. The first one is, the Apostle Paul knew and understood that though he was in prison, you know, in house arrest, he wasn't really the one that was standing trial. In reality, it was the gospel that was being put on trial before the Roman Emperor Nero. Um, it says in verse 16 that Paul says, I was appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
And this word defense is defined by Kenneth Weiss as a, it's a Greek judicial term refer, referring to an attorney taking his client off from a charge, thus presenting a verbal defense. And so Paul understood that when he had the opportunity to stand before Nero and give testimony, that he wasn't going to be tried for any criminal activity. He was innocent. He knew that. He knew that nobody could prove anything against him because he was an innocent man. But when he got to stand before the Nero, what he was going to be able to do is he was going to give an explanation for Christianity. And if he could present Christianity in, in truth to Nero, it could open up the door for the gospel to freely advance throughout the Roman Empire, that he would be the one kind of cutting the way so that others could come after him and freely be able to penetrate throughout the Roman um, Empire. And, and secondly, we must remember, this is very important, that the gospel is always working. No matter what our personal restrictions are, you know, whether um, it's due to health, whether it's due to coronavirus, whatever the case may be, whatever, however we are restricted in what we want to do or what we think we could do, the gospel is never restricted. Paul understood this, you know, um, if you put his life together, you know, this first imprisonment, it, it ends, you know, chapter 28. We don't get to see his um, audience with, with Caesar Nero. I wish there was Acts chapter 29. I would like to know what took place there. But whatever took place is he was released from prison because there's, there's parts of, of Timothy and all that, that don't fit into the gospel account. So he was released from prison. He continued ministry. And then he was rearrested later by the same, um, the same Emperor Nero, and he was ultimately executed. But he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He knows he's going to die. He knows that his life, you know, his course is, is coming to a close. But this, listen to what he writes. 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But then listen to this. But the word of God is not imprisoned. He was in chains, but you know what he's saying is that, is that the gospel, the word of God, cannot be chained. And I think that the apostle Paul understood what the writer to the Hebrews was saying in chapter four, verse 12, when he says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But I want you to see there at the beginning of that verse that the word of God is living and active. It's, 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 it's working. Even when you can't see it working, the gospel is at work. And I think a great um, kind of 
illustration of this is the coronavirus, right? The coronavirus, COVID-19, it continues to make advancements across the globe. You know, even now, the restrictions were lifted a little bit in Italy, but since I've been back here, we're not, you know, allowed to leave our city anymore. Once I go back, I'll be quarantined for two weeks, and they'll come and check on me. And then even after that, we can't live, leave our city um, unless you're for health reasons. But um, it, it's making advancements across the globe. Because, why? Because it's a virus. It's alive. And it's always working. It's always working. Strict quarantines. Or, in my case, what I view them as imprisonments. You know? Um, they haven't been able to hinder its effectiveness in infecting people. All it needs is a willing host to take it where it hasn't been before, and it will work because it's alive and it's active. And that's the same, the same kind of, I think, what, what Paul understood about the gospel. It's alive. It's active. And all it needs is a willing host to take it where it hasn't been before. You know, in Paul's case, we're going to see he, he took it to jail with him. You know, maybe he hadn't been there before, but he got there and it, was, and it did some work. We need to do our part. This is the believer's responsibility, is to take the gospel to present the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to explain the gospel, you know, to defend the gospel, and to live a life as much as possible to um, substantiate what the gospel claims to be able to do. Our lives need to kind of match, doesn't doesn't it? What What we we proclaim that the gospel can do certain things and our lives need to be able to support that and back that up. So I'm going to look at two different ways in which the gospel made progress. The first one is the external things that God was doing and then the second one I think uh, I really want to drive this part home with us is the internal part. Um, But firstly, I think the most fascinating thing for me about this story is the external advancement um, that the Apostle Paul mentions is that it was advancing to the whole Praetorian Guard. Paul says again in verse 13 that his imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known, not just known, but well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. So who were these Praetorian Guard? Who were these soldiers? They were an elite force in the Roman army. They actually weren't regular Roman army. They were um, special forces. They began in the Roman Republic as hand-picked soldiers that were there to guard the Roman generals or guard the Roman uh, governors. Later on, under Augustus, he, he enlisted 10,000. He hand-picked 10,000 soldiers enlisted them to be his bodyguards and the bodyguards of his family. Under Tiberius, they built um, barracks for them right outside the Romans' walls. And so 
they became this special force. And what the apostle is saying is that his circumstance, being imprisoned in Rome, he was able to, or the gospel was able to infiltrate into this elite soldier, all of these thousands of soldiers who have now been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that this began with the man by the name of Julius in Acts 27. He was the man that was appointed by Festus to escort the Apostle Paul and other prisoners to Rome. Now Julius, it says of him, he was a Roman centurion, and if you ever want to do a fascinating study, look at all of the different Roman centurions. They're all men of integrity. They just um, have an acute sense of to be able to evaluate situations, and, and uh, they were the backbone of the Roman army. They held the thing together, you know, seasoned soldiers. And here's this guy. I kind of view him as Russell Crowe. You know, my name is Julius. I'm a Roman a centurion in the Roman army, according to the Augustan cohort, you know. And that, you know, he, he would say that with pride. And he was probably the praetorian that was there to guard the Roman governor, Felix. And then when he called back, it was a good opportunity for him to go back. So Festus sent him and his cohort to guard the prisoners on their way back to Rome. But, you know, this man, Julius, he had already spent probably a couple years in Caesarea, you know, and he knew Paul's situation. And, you know, the, these Roman soldiers, they, they weren't political. They had the duty to do, but they understood the politics. And they understood, I think that he understood right from the beginning that Paul was unjustly in prison. He was just a political prisoner, a pawn being used, you know. And um, he probably got to know him a little bit through the imprisonment. Paul was probably a very good prisoner. It didn't cause any trouble. And he earned respect. And that respect even grew more on his journey to Rome. So much so when they were shipwrecked, you know, that his soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners. And they wanted to do that because if any of the prisoners escaped, they would be strictly punished for allowing them to escape or possibly even kill. But um, Julius steps in. Chapter 27, verses 42 and 43, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, Julius, my friend, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention. So he risked his life, he risked the life of his soldiers in order to spare Paul. This is the respect that, he, that the apostle Paul gained through this you know, relationship that developed from Caesarea and on on this journey onto Rome. So much so when, when Julius fulfilled his mission, he brought Paul and the other prisoners to Rome. He probably turned them over to his, you know, the captain and gave such a good report of the apostle that that was the thing that enabled Paul to have his own rented house. So he, he, he was able to have that freedom as a result. 
Now, in order to understand the situation, there's a couple clues that were given. One of them is in Acts 28, where Paul is meeting with the Jewish people. He gets to Rome, so he brings all the Jewish people together in his house, and he kind of letting them know from his own words. I'm sure that they'd heard things. But um, he says, for this reason... Therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And then he, in writing to the Ephesians, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. Again, writing from the Roman house of Rass. And this word chains, what it is, is, is a, um, there was a shackle on the prisoner's wrist with the short chain and then shackled to a Roman guard. And so this gives you a context. For two years in Paul's rented house, he's able to have people come and go as he pleases. He has that freedom, but he's constantly chained to a Roman soldier, a Praetorian guard. These guards are rotated in. I'm sure that wasn't just one of them. But the, the influence that the gospel had during that time, it was able to penetrate the whole Praetorian Guard. This elite, thousands of soldiers, was, were, they were exposed to the gospel. They got to hear the gospel preached all the time. I'm sure when there was nobody, no visitors, Paul would initiate a conversation directly with them, you know? And I'm sure that these guys, they gained a respect for the Apostle Paul during that time. Maybe some of them got saved. We know that some of, of Caesar's household got saved because he writes to Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you. That would be the Roman saints, especially those of Caesar's household. So he's saying the saints, and then the saints of Caesar's household. You get that. So Paul not only infiltrated, the gospel not only infiltrated the, the Praetorian Guard, but it also infiltrated the highest courts of Rome. This wouldn't be actually maybe Caesar or his, or his family, but these would be the officials that were appointed to govern the Roman Empire, the officials that were appointed to govern the palace itself, these people are the ones that were influenced somehow through the Paul situation. The gospel made such progress that it, it, I don't know how else it could have made except for that situation. Finally, all of the other believers, when they saw what was going on with the apostle Paul, they saw him in house arrest. Um, they saw all of the influence that he was making with the Praetorian Guard. I'm sure that they were fellowshipping with some of the the people from Caesar's households, these officials that were coming to church and all. And, and they took courage too. And they became more bold themselves in preaching the word of God. So there's this external progress of the gospel. And just a little bit of our story in Italy. You know, obviously, COVID has put um, a lot of restrictions on our movement, right? Um, I just flew from Europe. I flew from Venice to Frankfurt. I was in the Venice airport. 
There was 12 people in the airport with me. You know, it's just weird. And then I got to Frankfurt, this massive airport, and there were 13 people in that airport, you know. And I got to New Jersey. I flew from there to New Jersey, and there were like a million people in New Jersey. You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, Americans, we're different, you know. Don't gather. <laughs> yeah, why? You know, right. But, you know, um, we were on mission to Philippines with a team from the church here. We did a couple conferences in Palawan, on the island of Palawan. And um, that's when the COVID started to have its outbreak. So I'm, I actually, it took me about 48 hours to get back from the Philippines back to Italy because all the flights were being canceled and rerouted. And, uh, and I finally made it back. The very next day, we go into a strict lockdown in Italy. I mean, I, I, I don't know if what a lockdown is with you, but... Um, I live in the center of town on the third floor, and you're not allowed to go outside. And if you go outside and they, they catch you, they can fine you up to $5,000, the equivalent of $5,000. And so, I mean, it's a lot stricter there. Um, and so um, for us, the only thing that saved us is that if you had a dog, you're allowed to walk your dog within 200 meters 200 yards of your house. So I have two little chihuahuas. And they became my emotional support pets. Because three months of, of quarantine, you know, Rod starts. So we would take our dogs for a walk just around our building like 20 times, you know. The only other thing you were allowed to do is go to the store. So I, I volunteered, and only one person from the family. So I volunteered to go to the store every day. And I would go to different stores during the week, you know, every day of the week. So I didn't, you know, so they didn't figure it out. But Lidl, if you know what Lidl is, it became my new hangout. And, you know. But obviously, if you watch the news at that time, Italy was the hard, one of the hardest places hit because at the beginning of the outbreak, nobody knew, knew what this was. And so we didn't know, nobody knew how to treat her. They didn't know what to do, what not to do. And so really, um, it was, you know, a lot of trial and error was done on the Italian people. So they went before us so that there's better ways to treat it. They learned, you know, um, and, and, and the Italians have now a much better idea. and They kind of ignore the World Health Organization and do what they know that can, that can work. Um, but I don't want to get into all the political stuff. I just sharing this is what happened. But one of the cities, hardest cities hit, was a town called Cremona. And um, it was actually, if you watch the news, uh, Samaritan's Purse, that was a ministry Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, has. Uh, they set up a field hospital, hospital in the town of Cremona. And before the quarantine, my wife and I were going to Italian language school. Of course, that got canceled during quarantine. And uh, 
we didn't learn very much Italian during that time. Because the only interaction we had was with each other and our chihuahuas. You know, so, yeah, tough, but. so um, but, you know, the, this, this, our teacher in the Italian school, she was from Cremona. And she knew that I was an evangelical Christian. Obviously, Italy is a very Roman Catholic country. I mean, I think the Pope lives there, so. Um, and so uh, she had actually come to church once when I was preaching, just so to, you know, develop a friendship with her and able to witness to her a little bit. And, but when she found out that Samaritan Purse, Samaritan's Purse came to her town, these evangelical Christians came to her town to risk their lives to help her people. She called me on the telephone because I was the only evangelical Christian that she knew. And she called and she said, thank you. And you could see through the conversation that she wondered where the Roman Catholic Church was. And it was the evangelical church that was on the ground. And it, it opened up the door for many conversations. Um, this pandemic, and this is, this, is, uh, this is something that I have seen, as horrible as it is, has been used to open people up more to the gospel. That the gospel can make greater progress in people's lives externally. The, God, the, God, the gospel is going to go out and it's going to continue to work. Um, I lived in Austria for five years when I um, did my first stint on the mission field. I was 15 years in Europe. Five of it was in Austria. Austria is a very Catholic country. And, it, it, you know, I, it's hard to explain this, but there's so much religious heritage, hundreds and hundreds of years, that you, you cannot separate a person from their, um, their identity is in, I'm a, I'm a Catholic and I'm an Italian. You, they're, you, they're just one and the same. Or I'm an Austrian, therefore I am, I am a Catholic. Or I'm Serbian, therefore I am Orthodox, the Orthodox Church. You know, it, we, we call Europe post-Christian. I, I call it pre-Christian because it's never really experienced true Christianity. It's only experienced a religious stronghold on people's lives. But for the first time, in the younger generation of people that I see, that they, they aren't so, um, their, their identity isn't so staunchly in their religious heritage. That somehow, maybe through coronavirus, through COVID and all, that, that kind of shook them a little bit. I think also the continued scandals of the Roman Catholic Church has also kind of shaken people, the younger generation. But this younger generation, for the first time in my mission experience, they are open to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel. We've had some great fruit. You know, uh, one of the people that started coming to church is our dog sitter, this young girl, Italian girl. And then she brings all of her friends over. Some of her friends are now coming to church. But there's just this openness in the Italian people 
um, that I haven't seen before. And obviously through the online, we're reaching people that maybe have never stepped foot in the church. You know, I know when we were doing our online services, we would watch some of our friends on Facebook or whatever tune in that we knew that weren't Christian. We knew that they never been to church before, but they were clicking on, they were watching some of the online things. And I know maybe even there's some people that are, that have joined online during COVID. They're, you're maybe watching right now, you know. And I know Pastor Ted and, and the staff here in the church here, they, whenever you feel comfortable, they welcome you into this community of believers. Because, um, you know, you, you, you're finding maybe that you need God in your life now. And, and you're, you're tapping in, you're, you're, not, you're now opening, you're listening, you know, and, and, and um, we need the community of believers. I, I was in, my wife and I were in a coffee shop having my macchiato in Italy, and, uh, and, um, and I noticed this table of people were, were looking at us. You know, they kept on looking at us. And I looked, I mean, it's obvious why. <laughs> they were perceptive. You know. And um, finally, one of them had boldness, and he got up and he came over. And he, and he recognized me. I, I, I've done a lot of preaching on Sundays and on the midweeks during the course of the year. And so he recognized me for, and from, you know, preaching online. And the interesting thing is, is that these, this family, there was a whole family, they, they weren't regular attendees of the church. They never have been. But they have been faithfully watching online. And... Um, and, and being impacted. So, you know, we don't know. We don't know the extent of the, that the progress the gospel is making during this time. The gospel is not changed. The gospel is alive and it's active, you know. And we just need to be faithful to do our part to take the gospel wherever we go, even if it's into quarantine, you know, as the Apostle Paul did. Also, in Palawan, Here's a testimony for us too. Um, since even since we were there last year, we we've we met we have you know relationships with people across the island, and um, this one group of believers, especially close to us, right from the beginning, they kind of join. They're part of the family, part of our team, and they 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 help facilitate the conferences. They join and they help uh, get everything done. We wouldn't be able to do it without them, actually. But they, they caught the vision of teaching the Word of God. So they, they stepped out in faith to plant a church and kind of um, mimic the Calvary Chapel teaching of God's Word. And they've been laboring away for the past four years, you know, very little fruit. But then during this last year, 2020, God has started to add to their church. So much so that now they have to, they're, they're in the process of relocating into a larger facility. It's, just, it's, it's a blessing to see that. And so the, the gospel is making progress externally, but also 
the gospel is making progress internally. We know that the apostles suffered in his life. And as I thought about, you know, this message in, and I, and, I, and I started looking at it from the aspect of what was Paul personally experiencing through these things? You know, he, like I said, he, he writes from a place of joy when he writes Philippians. But how did he get to that place of joy? What was the process that got him to that place, you know? You, all you have to do is read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29, and you find out the great um, suffering that the apostle went through. But in particular, you know, some of the trials that this ordeal of imprisonment, must have, um, he must have gone through. These, and I think it had a transforming effect in his life. And really, chapters 21 through 28 of the book of Acts are given to this four years of, of, of imprisonment of the apostle in total. But remember, he was first arrested in the temple in Jerusalem. This story, and I, and I, and I need, I, wanna, I want us to feel the weight of what the apostle Paul must have felt. He finally has the opportunity to preach to his countrymen. We know that he had a, a, a passionate heart for his fellow Jews, you know. He, he, he writes to the Romans for, from Corinth right before making it to Jerusalem. And this is what he writes to the Romans from Corinth. He says in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow. When he writes Philippians, he has great joy, but now he has great sorrow. He, he's opening his heart. He's, he's letting, sometimes you don't really get to see into the, the heart of Paul, but, but peek in there for a moment. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief. Can you feel the anguish? Can you feel the, the pain of the Apostle Paul? Unceasing grief in my heart. And the reason why, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Oh, I, I love them. I want to reach them. I would change places. I would go to hell so that they could go to heaven. And I think he meant it. He meant it. And he gets to Jerusalem. They falsely accuse him. There's a big mob. The Roman soldiers come and, and save him, you know. And then they start leading him out. And he asks the Roman soldier, let me just speak to him. Make a long story short, the Roman soldiers gave him permission. He started speaking in the Hebrew language and everybody became very quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Paul's opportunity. And you have to understand, everybody knew who the Apostle Paul was. They knew him 
by the name of Saul of Tarsus. They knew him as the Pharisee. They knew him as the pupil of the famous Rabbi Gamaliel, the student, the best student in Gamaliel's school, the best school in, in Jerusalem. Probably a part of the Sanhedrin because he says that I voted, I cast my vote. He had authority. He received letters from the chief priests to go and arrest Christians in Damascus, as far as Damascus. He was well-connected in Jerusalem. And he thought, if anybody, if they would just, if I could just have one opportunity to share the gospel, sure they would listen. I know that I could reach them. I know them. They know me. And he has this opportunity, dead silence, and he starts to share his testimony. Then he gets to the point, and then Jesus, he sent me to the Gentiles. And that was it. The Jews ripped their clothes, threw dust in the air. The, again, the Roman soldiers had to come and save Paul and, you know, scurry him out. And what do you think Paul felt as the Roman soldiers scurried him out of that situation? Rejection. Discouragement. His opportunity come and gone, you know. And doesn't rejection have a way of digging into places in our hearts? Doesn't it have a way of, of, of kind of revealing maybe some things in there? It can cause us great discouragement. It can even lead us to the depression you know, I think of our Lord, it says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And through this rejection of the Apostle Paul, through this pain, you have to kind of conclude after you read Philippians, the letter of joy, that God used this in Paul's life and the gospel made progress in Paul's heart. It got into places that it hadn't got before. You know. The apostle was two years in prison in Caesarea, at least in Rome, he could have people come and go, right? But in Caesarea, he's in prison. I only did three months lockdown in Italy, you know? And about another month or so, you would have been visiting me in some, I would have been in a white jacket, you know, foam and whatever. But he made it to, through those years. You know, Leo Scheer, an Oxford academic, he, he says this, studies indicate that the COVID-19 pandemic is associated with distress, anxiety, fear of contagion, depression, and insomnia in the general population and among healthcare professionals. And, I, you know, I know that I've experienced pretty much all of those to some degree or another, you know, 
it's brought out some things in my life that I, I wish weren't there. One thing that has become experientially clear to me is that we are created for human interaction. We are created for human touch. Even the face mask, you know, like the human expression, the facial expressions, not being able to see that. Like, are you mad at me? Are you smiling under there, you know? I, you know, it's just like such a, a, a quench in life. Um, and I'm not, this is not political. This is just reality. This is we, we you know, this isn't a, a trial that Temecula is going through or Marietta. This is a trial that the planet is going through. Every country on the planet is experiencing this. But this is magnified, isn't it, with believers. Just to be a person, you need human interaction, or you kind of go wacko, right? But as believers, oh, it's magnified because we receive strength and encouragement from each other. The fellowship of the brethren. What would we do without it? That's why the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our um, own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. You know, COVID has thrown a wrench into our lives. I don't know, probably families or some family members that couldn't be with you because whatever reason, you know, because restrictions, travel restrictions. Um, And again, without being political, it's just the reality. To some degree or another, we've been restricted from freely living our lives the way we've lived them before. So what do we do? What do we do? And I think of the Apostle Paul. What did he do for those two years in Caesarea when he couldn't have his friends come and encourage him? What did he do when he couldn't have, you know, the fellow believers stimulate him to good words? How did he get through those two years of isolation, of restriction? (laughs) And I think the answer is simple. He had to do what we have to do. We have to lean into the Lord more than we ever have before. We have to trust in God to give us what we need, the the strength, the ability to make it through. We need to open our hearts and allow the gospel to make progress into the places deep within us. 
where maybe we received strength in different ways before. Now God is saying, no, I, I, I want you to come to me. I want you to receive that from me. I will give it to you. I will give it to you. And I think that we can make it through as the Apostle Paul did. We can learn to do it. He had a perilous journey to Rome. I have in my notes to tell you of our perilous journey to Brooks Point. For those of us that were on that trip, we went to do an outreach in the south of Palauan where it was, you know, south of Palauan becomes more um, Islam. And so there's dangers. Of, we actually got notified by the embassy that there was, Abu Sayyaf was looking to kidnap foreigners. They kidnap for ransom. And that's how they support their operations. And there's also the MPA, the New People's Army. So we all decided that we were going to do the outreach anyway. And so uh, we, the conference and the outreach. We always close with this worship conference. And, um, and so we go to the place where they have scheduled us to do this worship um, concert kind of outreach. And it's right next to a mosque. I thought that was interesting. Um, and, it, you know, you could just, you're going into this neighborhood, and, you know, you just feel the darkness. And, um, and we find out that as we're doing the outreach that there were some Marines in plain clothes that were there. And we find out that they actually put a, a, a Coast Guard ship off of the, in the point there where we were because they knew we were doing this outreach. And so that, that, as I learned these things, it kind of dawned on me, like, this is maybe a little bit more danger. They're taking it more seriously than I am, <laughs> you know? And so, but we did the outreach. Um, God did an amazing thing. But I, I know that through that, and then at the end of it, the police came and they put us in their cars and they escorted us back to the hotel. And so, you know, I know that through those things, through those kind of it gives you an opportunity to lean more into the Lord. You know, that's the point. And so, yeah, you know, that's my story. Paul's story is a shipwreck, you know, and, and he's leaning into the Lord on that. Your story, whatever it is, you got to lean into the Lord. You got to find your strength, your res resolve from the Lord. And then the Apostle Paul, and I think this one here was a real struggle for him. Because again, writing to the Romans from Corinth right before he is arrested in Jerusalem, just months before he gets there. He writes to the Romans that I want to come to you, and I'm gonna, I, I've been wanting to come to you. I haven't found a way to come to you in the will of God, but I want to get there. And then when I get there, I want to encourage you, and you're going to encourage me. And then, But I want to use you, I want to use Rome as a base to reach into the furthest west of the empire. I want to make it all the way to Spain. Because he tells them that I've kind of permeated the gospel in these regions. You know, the churches were planted all through Asia Minor into Greece. He permeated the gospel. And he, and, he, and, he, and he looked to Rome, but 
Somebody else planted that church in Rome, but he looked beyond Rome. He looked to the horizon. See, the apostle Paul wanted to be the willing host to take the gospel where it hadn't been before. And he saw the furthest west, and he said, I got to go there. And I'm going to come through Rome. I want to see Rome. I want to see you. I want to get some fruit from there. But I also want you to send me on my journey. I want to use you. You know, what a, what a you know, what, that, that would be the best base of operations there could be if, if you had that in Rome. But he's locked up for four years. He has this plan. And that plan is thwarted, you know. We were going to go to Palauan next month. No, February, two months. I don't even know what month it is. We're not going. You know, I was supposed to do a conference for the Serbians, and two weeks before the conference happened, this, we were to do the conference this summer, the, the outbreak in Serbia, they closed the border, canceled. I mean, I, I, I went a year and a half ago to do these things, and I, end, I, I went and ended up with COVID instead. I mean, I don't know, you know. I understand the Apostle Paul. You have this vision. You have these things you want to see happen, and then you can't. What do you do? Well, I think he had to let the Lord in, 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 into those places in his heart. Let the Lord kind of temper him. Let the Lord deal with it. Like, it's out of your control. Submit, surrender. And, you know, God, God knows. God knows. And it's difficult. But the progress of the gospel inwardly, the inward progress that it takes place. Like, <laughs> here's a quick one and then we'll be done almost. Um, you know, I got to Europe, July, girls set up, going to college in Budapest, my two daughters are going to college in Budapest, we're Hungarian citizens too, and then my wife and I get in a van with our stuff and we drive to Italy. We realize on our way to Italy that we just left our daughters in a town called Budapest, Hungary. It dawned on us. We had a semester, and then we had COVID. So my wife and I, I don't know if you've ever become empty nesters, or, or if you still have children, if you will become empty nesters, take this to heart. Because what happens is, you look across the table, and you see your wife, and you realize, like, our lives are not wrapped around our kids anymore. And you have to kind of get to know your wife Again, to a certain degree. Like, who are you? you know? <laughs> and so, you know, and then COVID, so you know, there were some cracks in the armor. We had to kind of, we kind of had to work on things. We had, we had some time. Quarantine, you know. <laughs> and God was gracious, gave us a little time to work on things. But we, had to, we had to work on our community. We had to work on our relationship, you know. 
And, and, and I know that COVID, and I know our trials, are, you know, where COVID is a common trial, but any trial, it, it magnifies the kinks in the armor. The things that you need to work on. And at those times, you have a choice. To let the gospel penetrate and make progress in those areas. Let the gospel be the answer, the solution. Let God be the answer. Lean into him. You know, Paul, he writes to the Philippians, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I am grateful that he says I have learned. That means he didn't always, he didn't always know. Because I'm still in the process of learning. And I know that my trials over the last year, I have to a greater degree learned how to be content in all kinds of circumstances that I, that I didn't foresee, couldn't have foreseen. You know, years ago, I came to a, a conference, probably around 2002, to a pastor's conference in Marietta. And um, we were in the process of moving a Bible college from Austria, the Bible College and Conference Center in Austria, we were moving it to Hungary. If you ever have an opportunity to move a Bible college from one country to another, I would say don't do it. It was miserable, about killed me, I was overwhelmed, it was um, stressful, uh, driving six hour one way, sometimes twice a week, because I was a signer on the paper. I had to deal with all that stuff. And it was, and so I come to the conference and, and, and Pastor Chuck gets up to open up the conference and there's a pastor that's going through a personal trial. His wife is um, suffering with cancer. And he just says this phrase. And he says, there is a part of a man's character that cannot be developed apart from suffering. You know, and that's all I can. I paid $700 to come and to hear Chuck say that. I mean, that's, I, that was it for me. That's what I needed. That's what I needed. And I'm here to tell you, there's a part of your character. There's a part of you that God wants. And the only way to get it is he's going to have to allow suffering. Because he will not be satisfied with 90% of us. He's a jealous God. He loves you. And he wants all of you. He wants you all in, leaned fully in, trusting in him. Maybe we've trusted in some Christian things before, and they've been removed. Now we need to trust in Christ, Christ in him alone, right?